Welcome to episode 217 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode of the podcast, we review week two of the NRL finals. We preview the grand final qualifiers, predict the Dalian player of the year. We discuss Michael Maguire's fate at the Tigers and much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 217 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, we are into the grand final qualifiers. How have you been? Are you pumped up? Yeah, you- well, yeah, I am pumped. Are you, are you pumped there, Dr. <laughs> T, I've got to say? Three games away from finding out who this year's premier, uh, premiers are, so... What is that? Uh, 80 plus 80 plus uh, 80. What's that? Uh, Lots of 240 80s. minutes, uh, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Nicely Googled there. Uh, look, look, Tish, I'm glad you're pumped up because I am the opposite of pumped up. I am deflated oh, wow. after the Eels' performance. Uh, well, not so much their performance, but the result more than anything else, mm. uh, which no doubt we'll get to shortly but there's been some controversy out of that game as well but yeah, um it's yeah. one of those games that had everything isn't it right um i think in in um i think even in the commentary they did say something like um oh i think Penrith threw everything at the Parramatta defense and then i think billy slatter actually said yeah i think i even saw a kitchen sink so <laughs> oh nicely done billy slater that that was the dead jokes awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's a, a post post football uh what quip, right? So uh Oh, he's getting himself ready for, for his uh commentating days, allegedly, <laughs> or is he being earmarked for the Queensland Maroons coach? Who knows? That's what I'm hearing. Mm. Word on the street. Uh, you know, and of course you must trust the word on the street, even if it's a crazy guy who's out of lockdown who should be at home. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah is getting double vaccinated, but look, uh, yeah, look, that's what I'm hearing. I don't know, Tish, you uh, you raised it to my attention as well that there is there are rumours about Billy Slater possibly being the Queensland coach next year. Uh, is this for real? Is he going to throw the kitchen sink at that one too? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, they seem very uh, they seem very uh, keen on signing him up, and he has shown interest. And it is interesting because obviously. He has, like, as far as we know, he has no experience um, uh, for coaching at all, right? So, so that's that's kind of interesting how that, how that sort of uh, played around. So, yeah, look, I'm not too sure uh, what they'll do, but uh, but I think um, I think uh, yeah, look, it's going to be interesting. I, I know Paul Green has definitely, I think he's actually made the announcement that they're not going to go ahead with Paul Green. So that will uh, that will yeah. So I think somebody's gonna gonna be uh, yeah. So that so yeah. Let's see how they go. Like I mean, who else do you have? Like uh, you probably, I suppose you have Cameron Smith, but he's inexperienced too, right? You've got Jonathan Thurston, but he's already doing commentary on Channel Nine. So you've got um, Cooper Cronk. 
I mean, those are kind of the legends that are sort of around these days. Um, who else do you have? I mean, Wayne Bennett. That could also be another. Uh, they always go back to Wayne every, you know, every time they have a have an issue. So um, maybe, maybe that's what what it could be. Well, who knows? I mean, yeah, that's. Uh, we might as well just put uh, the coach's hat on Alfie Langer since he's always out there uh, <laughs> yeah, giving instructions right. anyway. We might as well just make it official, everyone. Alfie Langer, there you go. That's my prediction. Alfie Langer, the coach of the Maroons next year. Yeah. Uh, based on no information whatsoever. just. <laughs> but um, look, we've got a lot to get through. So let's just jump into our six tackle, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. All right, here we go. Tackle number one, the news update. All right. Tish, we're going to start with your club. Uh, and we have a huge announcement to make about Michael Maguire, and the announcement is nothing, really. Like, he's just continuing. (laughs) Like, he's avoided the sack. That's the news. There was rumours all over the place that uh, in the last week that he would get the sack. And look, what happened? Do you want to take us through the the anti-climax that is the Michael Maguire non-sacking at the Tigers? Yeah, well, look, I've got to say, just when people were doubting his uh, defensive credentials, uh, Michael <laughs> Maguire has shown that he is a brick wall when it comes to the uh, the letter of resignation or the uh, or the uh, you know the, uh, the 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 final warning. So, so look, essentially, I look. Um, apparently, there was a schedule. I believe the meeting was supposed to happen on Monday, and in that meeting, apparently, they had already drafted. A uh, a letter to sack him, um, and then and then uh, and, and then so and then I, I'm pretty sure the CEO uh, Lee Hatcher-Pannis, who's who's uh, you know I think Brighton, I think he's also the uh, owner of, of Brighton Lawyers. He um, you know I think he was starting to, to to sort of get the word out there that they're sort of moving on for Michael McCarr and so forth. Uh, but then apparently they've had some issues getting a hold of him um, because he was holidaying out at, you know, in Fraser Island with his family and they weren't able to get a hold of him um, for the Zoom meeting to sack him uh, up until yesterday. So they postponed the meeting and then apparently he did such a great presentation uh, for his credentials that, um, yeah, that they basically um, decided to, to, to keep him, uh, you know, for the remainder of his contract. So, so he, so he got. He, is it fair to say, Tish, from what you're explaining in the chronology, that yeah, it sounds like he just got an extra, like a, an extension on his assignment, and yeah. he just, and he got, and he got to prepare a bit more than he would have otherwise, and he aced it. He aced it. He aced <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, um, the interesting thing about this is that the uh, Tim Sheens, who um was appointed uh at, in a in a role, um, uh, I think he was uh, sort of like. Whatever his role was before, he's now the head of football. But they couldn't get a hold of him for this final Zoom call. So then they um, – and now his role is changing too. Like they're giving him more power basically, Tim Shades, which is good. Yeah, so, so he's going to be like a Phil Gould kind of character, you know, head of – director of football kind of thing. Exactly, exactly. Because I think one of the concerns that the Tigers have is that they don't really have that person that's head of football. And then so, you know, Michael Maguire, like he would be sort of coaching the team and then – Halfway through the coaching session, you know, um, somebody would say, "Oh, you know, 
we've got somebody on the line to try to um to negotiate a contract with so he's negotiating a contract while he's trying to train and then so he's getting just like yeah, so the, uh, apparently that's one of the challenges that he's had is that you know the tigers are one of these teams that don't really have a huge back office i mean they're not the city city roosters you know what i mean where uh you know they 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 have a huge coaching staff, you know, they don't really have that, right? So so he's kind of had to do multiple roles. And I think where Tim Sheens will come in is obviously he's the one that will oversee the direction of the West Tigers. And then as a result, he could get sort of more involved into like, um, you know, the conversations, the recruitment, and also the development. Because I think development is a big thing for the West Tigers. Um, there are so many players playing finals right now that actually come from the area that the West Tigers are supposed to be in charge of. So, mm. and and uh, not just that, I think the Tigers have, you know, in the past, if you think about players like Corey Thompson and I, know, I remember Gareth Ellis, um, they've been a bit of a pathway club for players coming back from England um, or players coming from England. And I think that's also another uh, avenue that they could take, Ellery Hanley. Um, you know, like, for example, Ellery Hanley, right? I think he's mm. kind of like one of the most famous players. Um I think the other issue that they've had is that the Tigers are uh, like, if they get rid of Michael Maguire, who who is lining up for that job? You know, apart from Billy Slater, who probably isn't, right? Um, you know, because uh, if we go through the West Tigers coaching history, right? Wayne Pierce was the first coach, has not coached a club since coaching the West Tigers. Terry Lamb, <laughs> again, not coached before. Tim Sheens, obviously. Uh, you know, he was sacked uh, and then he went on to coach in England. Uh, Michael Potter has not coached in the NRL since. Jason Taylor has not coached. Actually, if you could say Tim Sheens hasn't coached in the NRL since leaving the Tigers as well. Uh, Jason Taylor hasn't. Ivan Cleary is the only one. Obviously, he left it away uh, Panthers. And now Michael Maguire. So um, out of those eight coaches uh, in their, like, what, what 25-year history, um, not really... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of longevity for any of these. Uh, like the the problem is, who would want to go become a coach at the West Tigers? Because I know if they don't do well at the West Tigers, no, there's no real job options for you afterwards. Do you get know what I mean? Like it's the uh, it's the gateway to coaching retirement. I feel. Oh no! Well, as a Tigers fan, I think that's a that's a lot coming from you. That yeah, I mean, if that's is that the the perception of of Tigers long lifelong Tigers fans is that. They're, uh, they're not getting what the best out of their team. The, you know the uh, the management and uh, is not really you know putting the investment where it needs to be in terms of coaching. I mean, look at two other options that have come up of you know post Maguire uh, were uh, I think it's is it Cameron Seraldo yeah and Shane Flanagan from the Sharks. Now one was is totally untested in this space and the other is has some a questionable kind of um, <laughs> question mark over him even <laughs> though he had some success with with the sharks the shark, yeah. obviously um, look I mean what can you say uh, you know there mm. is, are those the options I mean the other thing is let's not forget Michael Maguire and we've talked about this before Michael Maguire has you know he is the one that not that long ago it was only seven years ago that he brought South Sydney Rabbitohs to the promised land again uh, he managed to put it all together. Had obviously a star-studded lineup, but did what he needed to do to you know. And he's a premiership-winning coach. Mm. Uh, and 
and it feels like the Tigers are not really giving him the respect <laughs> that he deserves in terms of they're not really supporting him. No doubt they're not giving him the the cattle that he needs to uh, to do what he needs to do. And I think yeah. I said this to you as well a few weeks ago that depending on how Parramatta season were to end this year, mm. uh, there'd be calls for Brad Arthur potentially to be sacked from Parramatta. We'll talk about that later, but I mean, yeah, one. One option that was suggested by someone, I don't know who it was, a genius in my mind, uh, said, why don't I just do a straight swap, Maguire to the Eels and Brad Arthur to the Tigers? Because Brad Arthur has shown, just like Brian Smith before him in the past, that he could bring a ragtag group of, you know, a, a roster that's not necessarily in the top echelon of the competition, but he could do stuff with them. He could build the club. He's done it several times at Parramatta where we've been at our lowest. He's built them up again to be a top four or five uh, NRL kind of premiership almost contenders. And that's kind of what the Tigers need at the moment is a coach that can build and has that proven track record. And I think Brad Arthur has that. On the other hand, Michael Maguire has proven that when he's got the cattle, he can take them to the next level. Um, and that's kind of what the Eels need. They, they sort of, they've, they've been bundled out of week two of the finals for I don't know how many years in the last, out of the last 10 years, so many, uh, you know, and Brad Arthur can't really take them to the next level. So I think, you know, that's that's maybe my suggestion is if they're thinking what to do post-Maguire, um, think carefully about what you need in terms of a, the type of coach that can rebuild your club because that's kind of what the, the Tigers need. But, um, but yeah, so look, at the end of the day, um, <laughs> Madge ace the test and continue to have his job. So yeah. it, there's no it's, – it's almost like a moot point talking about – post uh, Michael Maguire coach at the Tigers because it's not going to happen for another year unless of course we have uh, poor performances next year then we'll talk be talking about who's the first coach to be sacked and Maguire might be in the firing line so yeah um, your final thoughts Tish on this uh, drama let's just say the ongoing saga of Tiger Town yeah well look uh, yeah the ongoing saga but I th- but I think um, I think one positive like yes the West Tigers have failed to recruit some big name players. That's that's been a bit obvious, um, and it sort of keeps on happening. And I think, to be honest, I don't think it's a hundred percent. I think Michael Mongoire is a factor, but I don't think he is the be all end all right to this. I think it's more about how the club is run, what the club's identity is, and so forth. Um, but I think you know one of the positives that you've got to say is that there are a lot of young players uh, like Adam Dewey, for example. Um, you know. Uh, Stefano uh, Udakalamano <laughs> and like a few others like that who have who, who have who have shown some 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 great stuff like even Dane Laurie and so forth. So I think the Tigers they have recruited some really good young players, so they can. I think they do have a future in that, and I think I think Maguire's been able to get really good um, you know traction out of those players too. So you know it would be interesting how Hastings and uh, Gildart go. Um, for them, the two English imports that they've got coming in next year. Um, I know they're not huge signings, but at the end of the day, um, they are talented players who've got success in Super League. Um, and then hopefully Tamo can have a better season. So I, th- I don't think it's all lost. Um, I think it's just, it's just, obviously, it's going to be a really tough few years. Um, but as long as they're heading in the right direction, I think they, like any club, they should be able to get there, which is why it's so important that when you do, um, find success in the final series that you or make it to the final series consecutively 
that you really cashed in on that opportunity. But we'll talk about that later with the teams that are still running. So those are my final thoughts on the West Tigers. Shall we move on? Yeah, all right. Let's move on to the next uh, news item, which is about the Panthers. Now, we're going to talk in detail about the Panthers and Eels' uh, classic encounter later on. But first, uh, in terms of news, uh, look, one of the big controversies uh, happened towards the end of that game where uh, a Penrith player, Mitch Kenny, uh, went down with an ankle injury after he was in the tackle with uh, by Regan Campbell-Gillard. And what happened was the Eels were on the attack and they had all the momentum and it was only about four minutes or so left of the game. And, uh, you know, again, Eels with the ball, uh, honing in on the Panthers' try line, and all of a sudden, the game was stopped. And I'm watching the TV uh, commentators saying, "What's going on? They can't do this. Uh, it, why is he stopping the game?" And the referee, who you know, obviously Ashley Klein, came under a lot of fire for um, some very poor decision making throughout the game. Um, decided to stop the play, which is a very unusual thing. In fact, so unusual that. The NRL uh, decided to investigate it and re- realised that actually it was a breach of the rules. It wasn't just an unusual thing. Um, you know, there's a reason why I think, uh, you know, in, in many sports uh, like this, that uh, you you kind of don't, uh, you, you kind of have rules that don't allow for um, or, or try to prevent um, gaming the system or faking injury uh, to prevent play from continuing um you see this in a lot of other sports but and you certainly see this in rugby league but for some reason they totally forgot the rules and uh and and uh basically what happened was the the penrith trainer usually what happens is the trainer goes on when an injured player is uh when a player gets injured does a quick assessment if the assessment is that there needs to be um the player needs to be taken off the field they alert the referee to say that this is what the case is. Um, unfortunately, and then the referee can decide, okay, I've been alerted that there's an injured player down, regardless of whether they're in the attacking or defending team, I've got to stop play. This was not the case. What happened was the trainer ran to the touch judge <laughs> and said, stop the play, stop the play, um, before actually having diagnosed mm. uh, the the injured player. Could have been not an injury at all. You know, we don't know. And so I think that's the reason why certain rules are in place and certain processes are in place. And at that level, um, trainers would know that uh, and, and they would definitely know that this is the case. Uh, and unfortunately, um, yeah, basically, uh, it says that the NRL manual, manual can – it makes it clear that a head trainer can only stop play after making an initial assessment that circumstances require a doctor to enter the field of play. So only under those circumstances should play be stopped. And unfortunately, that wasn't the case. So look, obviously, uh, online, you'll hear a lot of people saying that it was a deliberate ploy to to kind of stop play. It, it's kind of hard to argue against that when you look at the fact that mm. it was uh, the, the trainer knew full well what he was doing and flouted the rules by by asking play to be stopped straight away, as opposed to just going out and, and checking on the injured player. Um, and so, and and then to make matters worse, after the they paused play, it allowed Mitch Kenny to come off, and uh, the Panthers then brought on Tavita Pangai Jr. onto the field, 
and and it was uh, it was apparently the the, the 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 controversy there was that they were claiming that as a free interchange, which is not really supposed to happen unless it's a head injury or something. So yeah, I, I don't or, know where that's play. or foul play, and I don't know where that was coming from. So look, um, after all that, the Panthers uh, were found to be in breach of of certain rules. So um, they were fined a whopping twenty five thousand dollars, which is uh, quite a big fine. I mean, some some people out there are saying that it should have been even bigger, but that's uh, I think that they're, they're kind of using emotion there to to sort of um, because of the impact that it had on the game. I mean, really, it sort of stopped Parramatta's momentum. They had a lot of momentum going into the the uh, Panthers uh, twenty uh, inside the Panthers twenty, and unfortunately, this stopped that momentum, and so the Eels were unable to then capitalize on. Uh, the the field position that they had, um, having lost that momentum because the play was stopped. So, look, um, that's what happened. Um, and and I think the the other thing to keep in mind is that uh, the trainer who was uh, his name I think it's Pete Green, uh, Penrith trainer. Um, uh, it was the second time that he's been implicated in a controversial stoppage after a similar incident in the Panthers' round 14 clash against Cronulla. So, look, I think someone needs to go back to NRL um, night school uh, and learn the rules, uh, or they need to sort of uh, discipline uh, this gentleman because I think it's uh, in, in at the most crucial time, <laughs> in a very tense uh, sort of atmosphere for uh, the Panthers and the Eels, this is not the kind of mistake that you want to be making, even if it was a genuine mistake. So, Tish, uh, what are your thoughts on this? Did you catch this incident? What you, were your initial thoughts on, uh, you know, was it a deliberate ploy or not to stop play? Well, I think um, definitely it was a deliberate ploy because it's a ploy that sort of avoids, uh, you know, giving away a penalty, which then Parramatta could have taken two points and, and leveled the game, right? So, you know, you have... You know, so you, so you bring this on, and yeah, he he did not follow the protocol, which is obviously there needs to be an assessment before you can stop play. Uh, but then you also got to say the referee. Um, uh, you know, I think the referee's got to play a part in this as well. Like they've got to, um, because you know, like I remember when I was a kid, like if a player was like injured, what they'll do is just like move the play two meters. Like to the left, <laughs> they'll roll them. They'll roll them away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, like, um, and just keep playing, right? You know, because that's the like. So and then like, and I think a lot of them, these ones that you see where they are stopped, it's just to bandage a player, right? Um, but like, why can't you do that on the sideline? Um, so yeah, I think there's <laughs> there's that. There is this thing where if the trainer stops the uh, stops the play, the the injured player has to go off the field, right? And they were bringing in Pangai Jr. Now, the reason why Pangai Jr. was allowed to go back was because he had previously um, left because of a concussion, right? So he was actually allowed to enter again. Like, So you get two free interchanges on that sort of account, which a lot of people don't know. But mm. um, but, uh, but but I think that the – yeah, I think the issue was just basically how the events went down before they stopped it. And I think the other thing that we're saying is that, like, um, it should cost you an interchange when Mitch Kenny goes off the field. Um, but they stopped, they stopped counting those um, halfway through the season because I think a, a, some people had some uh, 
you know, somebody complained about it, you know, and when I say somebody, it's probably the Roosters, right? And um, <laughs> oh, like, no. they got exemptions for everything. They just get exemptions for everything. Anyway, I shouldn't say a lot of that, but, but, but yeah, but, but I think, to be honest, it's such a, like, I mean, um, you have your, as a, as a, as a, as a fan watching the game, you're watching a great contest between two teams back and forth. And then all of a sudden you have these, you know, stops in play for the most ridiculous things, you know, um, something that happened, you know, five tackles ago or like some sort of thing that the video was able to catch or some trainer, like, you know, like fair enough if it's a like, um, you know, you see the player down and they can't physically walk off the field. Like, do you know what I mean? Like when you have a really serious injury, like, you know, th- th- it's understandable. But when you have like these innocuous, you know, I mean, they're taping the boot right <laughs> like like if, if there's a serious leg injury why why are you taping the the uh you know the the shoe you should be taking the shoe off and like i don't know plastering it like do we need to have a i mean should like what a trainer is allowed to bring on a medical like table and uh, and you know like start performing <laughs> surgery in the middle of the field like like what what's the line i think the nrl just got to be a bit tougher on this sort of situation, you know? So, um, yeah, well, look, you know... Well, I think, yeah, yeah, 25K fine is pretty tough, but it doesn't do anything during the game itself, does it? Exactly, exactly. That, that's exactly mm. right. So, um, you know, perhaps there should be some sort of... Um, yeah, I mean, if there was a points awarded to this, that would be interesting. But, yeah, but look, um, it is what it is. They've, they've copped the fine, and I think... Um, Hopefully, it's a deterrent for future clubs making the same mistake. I have a feeling that, to be honest with you, like once you've, I mean, the Panthers have won the game. It's not like you could go back now, right? So we we don't have the alternate, you know, history of what if that stop, you know, play didn't stop, and you know the the uh, fatigued Panthers were, you know, let a try in. We don't know what would have happened, right? So, mm. um, so I think it, I think in the end, the people that they're robbing. Uh, you know, everybody that paid for their ticket and everybody who's watching on TV. So I was robbed. Can I sue, Dr. C? Can I sue? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Look, if if uh, if there is to be a uh, a time traveller that comes and changes uh, the this timeline, mm. you would think that they, they would overlook uh, this situation, this example, this game, and instead go back to 1989 grand final. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. get that Benny Elias kick over the black dot mm. and change the course of history for the mm. West Tigers. I think that's what you would want from yeah. your perspective. And if it was up to me, I would I would get my time traveller to go back in time to 2009 yeah. and, and leak the Melbourne Storm contractual records before the grand final. Yeah. <laughs> Thus, well, the- you know, making the Eels the premiers that year. You know. They're already doing that when, when the, uh, you know, when the acquisition, uh, I think a few years ago, there was a, uh, there was an alleged, uh, allegation alleged by the uh, West Tigers, Bowman Tigers, that for the 1989 grand final, the goalpost was actually the wrong height. Oh. Um, <laughs> and you know what? As soon as they started making those rumours, you know what they do? They tear down the stadium. Right. Oh, no, that's right. We can never Destroy prove it. Destroy all the evidence. We can never prove it. Oh man, oh man! It would have been easier to just put um, <laughs> put some orthotics in Benny Lice's shoes. Yeah. To be honest, <laughs> get that's him right. to be that one inch taller. You mm. know, 
Anyway, all right, let's let's let, we're going to be crazy there. Let's move on <laughs> to our review of the week two games in the finals uh, series. Uh, here we go, tackle number two. All right. The first game was uh, – so both of these are, are obviously from now on, they're all elimination games, so loser is out. And it was Manly versus Sydney Roosters, the Battle of the Beaches, as we call it, Bondi versus Manly, and it was a bit of a non-event. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, all that – the groundswell of support that Bondi felt last week during lockdown was uh, not <laughs> – did not translate to on the field uh, mm. because Manly flogged the Roosters forty-two to six in the end. It was uh, I think it was twenty-four to six at half time, um, and so the game was already lost by that point. In fact, I think it's fair to say it was probably lost within the first well, the first half hour or so when mm. uh, the Roosters crossed for their fourth try. Yeah, um, I think at that point, uh, four tries to one. After 31 minutes, I think it was fair to say that the uh, the Roosters had no chance after that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so 24-6 to 6 was a halftime score. Um, and, look, Tommy Turbo, once again, proved his worth. Two very crucial tries, five minutes from the beginning, five minutes after halftime. Uh, he just, he's just everywhere. Uh, mm. Tish, you just needs – when you need someone to be dependable, to just mm. – um, find the line to be your support player. I think that's the thing about Tommy Turbo. People just think he's 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 got that kind of um, magic touch, but it's not like as if he breaks the line every time he gets the ball. It's not like as if he's the strongest tackler. Mm. It's not like as if he uh, creates a, a, a brilliant pass out of nothing. I think if you look carefully at, at what Tom, Tommy Turbo does and why Manly have been successful this year, is that there's this real sense of playing for each other and always looking and being hungry for an opportunity to score a try. So as soon as one of your, your teammates makes a break, there's always someone there willing to you – know, giving you an option to pass it to. And I think that's – I think that's – it's a very much a Des Hasler kind of uh, stamp on this team. Mm. Uh, it was the way he played the game. Uh, he wasn't the most brilliant of halfbacks, didn't have the strongest kick. In fact, if you were to look at him and the way he played the game, you'd, you'd wonder, is he a halfback at all? Because he, he didn't really have the traditional kind of skills that you'd expect of a halfback. But what he did have was that kind of hunger mm. and that sense of being a, a gritty, kind of tough player. And, you know, um, very much uh, th- that has been translated into this team. And, and I, I see that in Tommy Turbo as well in terms of, um, the way he plays. But I think, look, at the end of the day, we say goodbye to the Roosters. I don't think after all the dramas that they've had in the last few weeks with the injuries and, and other various other things, that they were given much of a chance against Manly, um, despite the fact Manly got sort of done over by the storm the week before. But I think, uh, I think what we're going to see is... Uh, uh, you know, potentially Manly going into this next game, uh, we'll talk about it soon, but with a little bit of confidence, more confidence than they would have had. Uh, but I wonder how misplaced that confidence will be given that they've been, basically they uh, they put a depleted Roosters to the sword. Tish, what are your thoughts about this game? Yeah, well, look, I think, um, as you said, I think after about 18 minutes, I think it was pretty uh, obvious <laughs> what the result was going to be. 
Um, and uh, yeah, and I think what a what a form reversal from the Manly Sea Eagles. I mean, they were uh, they were convincingly beaten by Melbourne just a week before, and I think that hunger really to sort of um, you know to sort of wipe off that embarrassment sort of came down, and now they've sort of gone completely the other way. So they're very uh, rocks and diamonds if you think about the last two weeks. But um, but yeah, but as you said, ter- uh, you know, yeah, Tom Trebojevic, uh he's He's, uh, you know, always involved. He's, he, you know, he's the everywhere man. Um, you know, he is the Bill Withers of the Manly Seagulls. You know, they will always lean on him uh, when they're not strong. Um, and, um, yeah, he sort of carries them on. So, uh, so I, I, I think I think that was great. And, look, they've got quite a lot of foul firepower Manly. Um, and, and I think that was exciting. Uh, the Roosters, I mean, the Roosters, they, they don't really uh, – I think the – the game against the Titans uh, took it out of them. You know that that thriller. I felt like it kind of was like, like their their last stand, really. And now they've sort of um, and this was like sort of the reward for make it, for for winning last week was to get hammered this week, I suppose. Um, but yeah, like you know, a lot of people started talking about their injuries and the bravery and all that sort of stuff. And look, they were able to salvage their season um, from you know obviously having. What four retirements at the end of the day? I know one of their retirees did play in this game, uh, plus an injury to their main playmaker in Luke Carey. Um, you know, some injuries to Victor Radley, some suspensions here and there, and um, you know, obviously um, their X Factor in um, you know, uh, oh wow, I forgot his name. The uh, you know the centre who plays really well, who got punched by uh, <laughs> literal oh, um, Joey Money. Joey Money, that's it, that's it. Yeah, so I think yeah they've had um. Yeah, so they, so they've had quite a lot, but look, you know, a lot of clubs also go through the same sort of thing. So I don't, I don't know if, if that's if that's it, but I think they did well to to get to where they got to. Um, you know, I think mm. a lot of people would have said that they fell away, and um, yeah, I, I also feel like there is a bit of a a roster management issue with the Roosters. Like, um, you know, they got rid of Flanagan last year, who was going to be their heir apparent halfback to Cooper Cronk, um, and now they've got young Sam Walker, but they're too reluctant to bring him onto the field early in the game. Um, and apparently he's on some sort of, um, you know, in quotation marks, weight program <laughs> over the summer <laughs> to build his body up. So, um, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily know how that works, but I'm not a sports scientist. Uh, hepto- I mean, sorry. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not an expert in that area, so I don't know how that works. But <laughs> but, but 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 yeah, but but um, yeah. So so they've done that. Plus, they've had all these retirements this year. Um, you know, it's it, and they haven't been able to uh, have a good line of succession. Can I say that? Uh, mm. Whereas, if you think about like uh, a team like the Melbourne Storm, they've lost Cooper Cronk. Then a few years later, they lose Billy Slater. Then a few years later, they lose Cameron Smith. But they're still able to. Um, you know, stay very competitive, uh, you know, in, within the top four over the a number of years. Um, but the Roosters, their succession plan didn't quite work out this time. So you'd be interested because you also got to think they've got players like Waria, Hargraves and so forth that probably are towards the end of their season two, right, you know, mm. um, or, or their career. Um, Takiyaho, he seems to be in around for a while. So that, yeah, I, I feel like they're a very moving roster at the moment, and be interesting to see how they will perform in twenty twenty two. But we say right. b- goodbye to the Roosters and uh, Manly. Let's see how they go. Yeah, we'll talk about that 
coming up next. But now the Eels and the Panthers, and mm. uh, I would say, without any uh, fear of being uh, classified a, a well of, of of exaggeration, let's just say that I think the the quality of this particular game it felt like actually like an origin uh, state of mm. origin kind of game the it, there was so much drama there was so much uh, skill it was so tough it was such a defensive oriented game not what i expected at all to be honest like i thought it would be a little bit more open i thought we'd see a little bit more kind of razzle dazzle and everyone throwing the kitchen sink at at uh, at each other's line but the scrambling defense of both these teams was outstanding. Mm. At the end of the day, the Panthers were triumphant, eight points to six. That was also the halftime score, and uh, it just that just sort of sort of showed. And in fact, if anything, the second half was more drama filled than the first half, even though not one point was scored, yeah. which was just unbelievable. Um, Unfortunately, the Eels, it is the end of their season. Uh, I think they did throw, throw everything at the Panthers. And I think it's fair to say that one of the, the you know, we'll, we'll dive into it in a minute, but I think my my biggest takeaway was uh, it was, uh, look, I, I think they could have done more <laughs> in, mm. in attack. Um, I know that uh, the there was an overwhelming kind of outpouring of gratitude for the fact that they gave, gave it 100% which you cannot take away from either team. Uh, I think they really did give everything out there on the field. Um, uh, but as an as an Eels fan, I did sort of – I was very frustrated at times <laughs> watching them, uh, you know, and, and some of the stats sort of bore out my frustration as I look at the stats now. The team stats are, you know, an example, you know, in terms of um, number of uh, – offloads we we hardly you know there was a lot of one out running uh you know mm. which you kind of expect to do in a tough kind of 80 style old 80 style eels game but in this day and age you know the difference is uh, you know so they had seven offloads in the whole game and panthers have 12 and i would say the majority of those without being able to dive into that stat is from Tavita Pangai Jr. Because <laughs> every time he got the ball, mm. he was in danger of passing it back and, and creating a second-phase play. And every time he did that, it was dangerous. And I think that was what the Eels were missing, the the kind of uh, a little bit of that unpredictability. That's what they needed. Mm. I think it, had they had a little bit more of that, I think we could have seen a, a completely different result. And, and, not, and I'm not just talking about an... Uh, you know, eight six or ten eight in our favour. I'm talking about the Eels could have put quite a few tries on that that they they just couldn't. Uh, they just didn't finish and do the job to finish the job. So, um, as an Eels fan, I'm quite disappointed. At, uh, I think they did sort of go out. I wouldn't say they went out on a high. I think their high was uh, their defeat of the Storm a few weeks earlier. I think that was pretty much the perfect game for them. Um, and I think there was some expectation set that they would continue that into the finals or that they would find that form going into the finals. And it wasn't to be, unfortunately. Um, but look, we talked about the controversies as well. Uh, one of the biggest controversies, apart from that um, poor decision to stop play, uh, uh, as we mentioned earlier, <clears throat> it was... Uh, <clears throat> there were quite a few uh, decisions that that went against the Eels. Uh, you know, there was a a call for a, um, a six again with only about a minute or so to go. Uh, 
that was completely ignored, <laughs> you know, uh, with the Eels close to the Panthers try line. There was a second try that they, I believe they fairly scored in the first half that completely, uh, I, I, don't, I still don't understand what the decision was from the bunker. They just completely uh, ignored the calls for a try and then uh, they basically, yeah, it just, but there was a try, a second try scored by, I think it may have been Wonga Blake as well, that, that second try, but yeah. it was called back for some reason. I still don't know why. Um, maybe someone can explain it, but um, I thought at the time, geez, I hope that decision doesn't cost us. And yep, it sure did <laughs> towards, because that try would have been the difference, uh, that second try in the game. But um yeah, look, I think a lot of people are saying the Eels did well. Uh, they they performed their hearts out. It's hard to win against uh, two teams, the Panthers and the refs. <laughs> that was that was one of the, the comments made online. Look, and I don't know if I subscribe to that, but I think the Eels were very, very hard done by in terms of the decisions throughout the game. But look, at the end of the day... Um, it was the game was there for the taking for both teams. Mm. And I think the Eels in some ways were dominant and the stats, some of the stats show that uh, bring that to bear as well. But in other ways, I think the Panthers also feel like would feel like they deserve to win as well. So look, this was a true origin style game to me. It could have gone either way. uh, And it was frustrating to watch, very emotional to watch it. And uh, especially as a Neils fan, but look, Tish, I'll, I'll hand it over to you to give your take on uh, the key takeaways from this match. What was your impression of uh, the Panthers and uh, and and the Eels? And uh, I guess we'll talk about what the future holds for the Eels straight after as well. So I'll hand over to you. Okay. Look, uh, first thing I've got to say, it was uh, a great game. Absolutely, a great game by um, probably uh, is it was a game of the year. Well, I can't remember too many games being better than than this game. It was it was back before it was great stuff. Um, yes, the score was single digit on both teams, and at the end of the day, it's a penalty goal. Um, that is the difference. Which you know you want tries to be the difference. So the penalty goal is probably not the best, but it just shows how close the game was. Um, so I do have to give it that, and I think both teams uh, played. Uh, play their hearts out. I think um, despite the lack of tries, there was a number of opportunities probably for both teams to score. A couple of disallowed tries. Um, I think the uh, incident, I, I do remember it was like, it was a kick um, that the, um, you know, the, the, uh, the pa- Parramatta have a, have a really good, um, you know, sort of um, complete and then compete uh, style of tactic where they all sort of, you know, have a really good set where they complete it really quite well. And then, you know, Moses has got some really good uh, kicking plays, right? So, you know, he kicks the ball so that the Panthers can complete. I think Dylan Edwards decided not to go for the ball. And then uh, I think Gutherson somehow got the ball and then threw the pass and it looked like Wonga Bloke had scored, but I think it was called forward. Um, mm. Yeah, because the error was attributed to Gutherson. But yeah, but like it's just, it's it's one of these things that, because the technology you can't rule on, like it does make it a bit hard because if you can rule on something, like I feel like they should have gone and taken it to the bunker and he sort of said, look, like some sort of error or maybe, and then you might've seen, or did it actually travel forward? And if it did travel forward into the corner and forward pass, you could say that it was like a knock on or something. I, I don't know. But I just felt that like that, that in these sort of really crucial games where, um, you know, every game from now on, it's, 
you win, you move forward. You lose, you're out. You know. So in these sort of situations, I think every decision has to have, um, you know, a second set of eyes or something. I think there has to be a very, I, I think um, wrong decisions become a lot more critical, and because in the end it costs people their season. And sometimes it might cost people their jobs, which I'm sure we might be talking about a little later. But look, um, I think overall it was a fantastic game. In terms of who played better, I'm going to call it 50% because um, as much as what I thought the Parramatta defense was fantastic, I think I think Panthers' defense was equally as fantastic. Um, mm. I, did, I did feel that um, Penner probably had the better attack, but yet they couldn't really uh, get over the line. Um, but I think Parramatta created some great opportunities too. Um, there is a there is a one particular incident um, where Parramatta made a break. Ferguson was going down the sideline, um, kicked it in, and Penasini had uh, been well. He was being held back to take the ball. I'm not too sure if that shouldn't have been a penalty try. Um, but behind the play, you also saw that uh, Mitchell Moses was taken was was tackled without the ball. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So and uh, the 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 ref count was seven to two. Uh, now Ashton Klein was referee, and look, uh, I don't really have a sway this side or that side for for the referee, but I do think Ashley Klein has had one of these seasons where I don't know if he's really the the second best referee at the moment, based on some of the controversies he's had this year with, um, you know, particularly not sending players off and things like that. So I was kind of surprised that he got the gig. Like, I, I thought that, you know, they normally give it to, uh, well, Jared Sutton had one, but they normally give it to the six again guy, um, uh, Gerard Beal. I'm, I'm not sure, but uh, no, Gerard Beal's <laughs> an actual player. I forgot. I forgot. <laughs> yeah, but no, there, no. There's, a, there's a few. There's, and obviously, in my opinion, the best referee is Matt Checken, but, yeah. um, you know, they're allergic to picking him for, for these big games. But, but but, was but Jared, it was, Jared Maxwell is the other one I think the one yeah Maxwell is it the one yeah 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 so so yeah so so Klein, it might have been his first semi final um as as a full referee so but but I think um yeah and I think I did there are a couple of errors and that that I think that he had I think the ref, uh, the the count was seven to two um over 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 Parramatta uh like sorry seven no seven penalties to Penrith and only two pen, penalties to Parramatta so. From that point of view, it does seem a little like they didn't they didn't really get the rub of the green. Um, having said that, though, I think I think ultimately, um, you know, uh, the game deserved a really good finish. It really had a good finish right at the end. Uh, unfortunately, Parramatta they just weren't able to get a, you know a penalty to even it up or or the try. Um, I don't know if this tactic. I always think about this tactic. Like, why don't you try to kick two one one point field goals? Um, well, I think, I, yeah, I mean, look, I think there was even discussion during the commentary that that Mitchell might have, Mo, Moses might have gone for that two-point field goal, uh, which is if you've got to kick it from outside the 40. Yeah. Um, but I don't think he's got the length to do it. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah. I mean, I saw some of the, even just some of the the drop drop kicks from uh, um, the dropouts weren't, very big so um yeah. yeah i just sort of i thought that was a bit odd that the commentators were expecting that to happen but yeah you're right i yeah. mean look i think it's that maybe they could have clawed two field goals uh and and got their way back but i think i would have expected some of the penalties to to la- allow them to even the score i mean mm. you, you mentioned about certain players being taken out of play i think those examples warranted penalties 
and yep. we didn't receive him. And that's, this is what I mean. It felt like as an uh, you know as a one eyed Eels fan that that almost all of the fifty fifty calls went against the Eels. Um, and and I think that's just it's unlucky in many ways. I think it was a general poor poor performance by the referee and the bunker. There was a lot of situations where I, I, there was there's a broader issue as well where in some situations you think. Uh, you know, again, we're used to the bunker intervening. We're used to the captain's mm. challenge now. And in some situations, I remember sort of yelling out, "Challenge, challenge!" You know, challenge that. And then, and then you hear, you know, I think they, I think the Eels tried to do that at one occasion, and then we're told, "No, you can't challenge off a, oh, I don't know, when, yeah. when, when, when the moon is uh, twelve degrees away from Mars." I think there's there's all these convoluted rules about when you can and can't challenge, yeah. which which is as a fan is really frustrating. I think they really need to get a hold on that and yeah. uh, and fix that up because I think either you want intervention from uh, from the bunker on most occasions or you or you really only limit it to try scoring situations or something like that because I think uh, otherwise you get the situation where there was some clear examples of where a decision was made that there was a knock-on and, and then he said oh you can't challenge on a knock-on or something I don't know what he said but I, I thought, is that really the case? Is that, that's a bit that's a bit harsh that that a decision is made and then you can't challenge it because it doesn't fit the very strict criteria about when you can challenge. So again, yep. that's an example of um, you know what what needs to be done more broadly. But I think look overall, I think the Panthers um, they move on. Uh, the Eels we say goodbye mm. to them for another year. Tish, uh, my question to you: uh, if you were uh, the Parramatta administration, would you persist with Brad Arthur for another year or would you sack him? Very quick point of view and then... Okay. We'll well, I, was, I was just going to say that, that thing with the challenge, I do remember that. And oh, yeah. um, they, they didn't actually... Yeah, they, they denied them the right to challenge. And okay, fair enough, they got these rules on it. But a few weeks ago, I remember James Tedesco had... Uh, challenge something and he just said challenge challenge and then they're like oh you can't challenge you can't challenge because we want to challenge it anyway and then they actually went and <laughs> did a challenge and then um and then he got it wrong Tedesco got it wrong and then the bunker guy was like uh because uh the roosters have challenged something that cannot be challenged they retain their challenge what <laughs> Is that yeah. really what happened? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah, oh, the, my goodness. Yeah, oh, and, then, wow. and, then, and then here you have this game, a lot more crucial than what that Roosters game was. I remember, I think it was like round 25 or something. And all of a sudden, no, no, you can't challenge, you can't challenge. And, and they don't let him challenge. And in this instance, I think you would have found that the Parramatta were right. So, I don't know. Like, um, But if you can't challenge, but then the challenge is successful, does that... <laughs> There's I don't a, know. It's a bit of a. Uh, I think time space continuum has just been destroyed by that. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it, 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 it does. It does. But I remember, and I remember there was some talk about it. So look, Brad Arthur. Okay, so this is the thing. All week I've heard this ever since this finals. Like you know, like you know, look, Parramatta. You know, I think Brad Arthur's redeemed himself. Um, you know, because they were competitive all the way till the end. And, and and a lot of people are like yeah like you know let's you know I think he's he's the right man for the job that he's kept him competitive even though they went through this lull and all that kind of stuff and you've heard that right but that actually came from Brad Arthur before the game where he said uh, I think he said something like if 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 there's like you know if it comes down to the wire and um, Parramatta are like and and our boys are close to winning then I'm happy right and that's the problem Brad. 
Like, like that's not what the fans want. The fans want you to say, "I'm only going to accept victory. I'm not going to accept anything else." Like, like, it, like that's what I think the problem with the Panthers, right? Like, uh, oh, sorry, with Parramatta. Like, um, they have to play their best to win games, which is fine. But they've got to turn into one of these teams who play awful but still win. You know, um, like, and 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 really, like. Like you see, you see this with Craig Bellamy, right, man? He gets angry uh, even when they win. You know, Brad, he's he's too happy when they lose. That's the problem, you know. So I think he's happy that they got close. He's happy that they got close, you know. Which is like, you know, oh, you know, like we got to see well, but we really wanted to go to movie world. I mean, come on, like really? <laughs> like, yeah, look, yeah, look, that's uh, look, and thank I think you, that's, I say. look i think this is a difficult i think the worst thing that could have happened to Parramatta was that they got close to winning this game because i think because i think i think at the end of the day as you said look the harsh reality is results count Mm. and brad arthur has been given many chances when when we were flying high a couple years ago with semi red radra and we got knocked out in straight sets unnecessarily in, in that finals, you know, when we were favourites, you know, this is – there's just too many examples of too many chances being given. And and like I said, look, I don't necessarily think he's not an NRL-worthy coach. I just think he's not able to take Parramatta to the next level. He's proven that time and again. Yeah. Uh, look, plenty of more you – know, I'm sure we'll have more discussion about this in the future. But I think, as I said, by going out the way they did um, – I think it gives some false hope to people that mm. that that Brad Arthur is the answer when he quite clearly is not. He doesn't instill in this team that killer instinct. Yeah. Um, I think um, I would also question some of his very poor decision making in terms of uh, uh, the player the substitutions and the players that he brought on in different roles. Um, was it Roy? Oh, what's his name? Roy. Um, uh, Roy, his son. All right, sorry. What? <laughs> Brad Arthur's son. Anyway, but he didn't play that game. But uh, no, 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 not that one. Um, I'm just, I'm just gonna. It's, Roy, it's not Roy Stone, is it? No, hang on. Who is it? Ray Stone. Ray Stone. Ray Stone. Sorry, what, what I'm saying. Yeah, Ray Stone. So Ray Stone, starting hooker, mm. made a couple of really poor decisions in towards the tail end. Uh, Completely let, let, forgot. Completely forgot how to how to pick up the ball from the play. The ball yeah. wasn't on one occasion. Wasn't looking. So that was a, a again in state of origin type games. Those key decisions really mm. make a difference. Yeah. And and your your errors and mistakes are highlighted and amplified. And I think it wasn't just one mistake. He then made another mistake later. And ultimately, when the game was on the line, there were seconds left. You know, a minute or so left. We had the ball. He decides to do one of those no-look passes to Junior Paulo, close to the line, who Junior Paulo, in typical Junior Paulo style, drops the ball (laughs) Um, (laughs) rather than just doing the basic catch and run, use yourself as a battering ram. Um, Again, poor decision from a hooker when we've got the back line completely set up. Mm. We need to do something with the ball. Instead, you you give a very difficult pass to a player who's not renowned for good ball control um, who can, and and there right there is i think the epitome of our season dumb decision making i think when we had will smith from the bench 
that every time he came on, he, uh, he played much better in terms of the dummy half role, has done so in the past. Um, I don't know why why Brad Arthur didn't do something with Ray Stone when it was clear that he was out of his depth towards the end there. Um, that, to me, again, it all boils down to the coach. The coach has to determine when when a player is not really contributing to the team, when he's a, a risk and what to do about it. And when he had Will Smith there as well, you know, it's just, I did say to you, we had a very strong bench before this game. I said, you got Will Smith, Papa Lee, Bryce Cartwright, Ryan Madison. This is a very strong bench. So you had plenty of options and he didn't use it. So I think at the end of the day, without going too much into it, I think Mm. um, questions will be asked of Brad Arthur and his ability to take this team to the next level. Um, and no doubt, you know, in the coming weeks, post uh, post season, we'll hear a little bit more about it. But for now, as I said, I think the danger in thinking that we were close to beating the Panthers, um, you know, even if we did beat them, I think on their performance, on that performance, they would still be in in the firing line for an absolute smacking at the hands of the storm in week three uh, as a grand final qualifier. So, look, unfortunately, we say goodbye to the Eels. I think, uh, you know, we had a glimmer of hope towards the end there after beating the storm that that we could have, uh, you know, pushed a little bit further into the finals. But once again, in week two, we get knocked out of the finals, unfortunately, and Penrith survive another day. Tish, let's move on to the previews of the grand final qualifiers. So here we are, tackle number three, the grand final qualifier preview. All right, so Manly versus South Sydney is the first game this Friday uh, at Suncorp Stadium. And in terms of the lineups, uh, we don't have too many uh, differences in the lineups of either team, although mm. we've got Curtis Sirenen coming in uh, on the reserves. Uh, actually, all, all the, the ins for both the teams are really not really within the interchange at all. Yeah. Um, so not really consequential, but let's just quickly go through the Rabbitohs. We've got uh, Taff, Johnson, Gagai, Graham, Paulo, Walker, and Reynolds in the backs. In the forwards, we've got Nichols, Cook, Totola, Kaloa, Matangi, Sua, and Murray. And on the interchange bench, again, I contend this is one of the strongest interchange benches that Wayne Bennett will know how to use. Benji Marshall, Jacob Host, Tom Burgess, and Jai Arrow. And for the Seagulls, we've got Tommy Turbo, Saab, Parker, Harper, Garrick, Foran, Cherry Evans. And on in the forwards, Aloai, Croker, Tapao, Alakuatu, Schuster, Jake Trebojevic. And on the interchange, Dylan Walker, Carl Lawton, Sean Kepi, and Taniela Paseka. Tish, um, look, I'll let you have the first word. Uh, Rabbitohs and Seagulls. Um, both, I would say, are in form, although we've had the Rabbitohs having a week off, which may, mm. may be at a disadvantage for them. But what are your thoughts, your initial impressions of Rabbitohs and Seagulls? Who's going to well, win this one? Well, look, I think, um, uh, yeah, I think the Rabbitohs are, yeah, I think the Rabbitohs are going to be too strong for Manly. Look, Manly have been a bit up and down. I think um, I think I heard Ryan Girdler through the week saying that he's not convinced with the Seagulls, and he made a really good point, like. 
they seem to do really, really well against teams that are fan, you know, teams that are not that great. But then coming up against the big four, I don't think they've won uh, any other game with the top, anybody else in the top three. So it's going to be a big challenge for them to beat um, the Rabbitohs. Um, and I think they do have some defensive issues. I think the Roosters really weren't good enough to actually exploit any of them. But I think I think from an attacking point of view, uh, the Sea Eagles have lots of power. Um, but in terms of defense, I don't know if if they're as strong as some of the other teams. And meanwhile, the Rabbitohs, they're a bit of a killer attacking team, right? You know, uh, even without Latrell Mitchell. I mean, um, you know, Alex Johnson, uh, Dane Gagai, obviously in the centers. And then you've also got like, you know, Katie Walker, Adam Reynolds um, sort of producing some stuff. Cameron Murray does some awesome things. Damien Cook, you know, out of dummy half. And then, you know, if things are not going to plan, they bring on Benji Marshall. <laughs> right, you know, yeah. so, so so that's that's where that's at, and um, you know, they, they all know each other's game, and I think it's just kind of kind of great. Um, and then from an attacking point of view, I think I think Manly can match him from attack, like you know, like Kieran Four and Daly Cherry. It's had a that absolute you know blinder of a game. Then you have you know obviously um, Tom Travojevic, his brother in there, also at lock can also create a couple of opportunities here and there. But you know, I, I think. You know, the Rabbitohs, out of, to be honest, out of the entire top four, they have the best all around spine. Uh, I, with Obviously, Tough is um, not their main choice. So maybe that's where their weakness is. But, um, you know, if you, uh, you know, that that's their only deficiency, really. Uh, but I don't think it's that much of a problem for them. Whereas I think, uh, yeah. So, so, yeah, so, so I think, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about the Rabbitohs. Um, the, the week off, I think, is good for them. Um, uh, the fact is they rested quite a lot of players for the last round. Then they came out absolutely on fire week one. They get another rest. Now they're going to come back absolutely on fire. I think after they win this game, I think the big test is going to be, can they back up two weeks in a row of high-intensity football? But, um, yeah, I, th- I think I think, uh, yeah, I think think yeah the Rabbitohs, I just see them being too strong for Manly, unfortunately. Well, unfortunately, if you're a Manly fan, <laughs> but yeah, fortunately, if you're a Rabbitohs fan, look, I think I think you're right, and I think the the issue about the the spine. I mean, look, we talk about the spine, but it really matters nothing if uh, if the rest of the team isn't going well. Uh, I think what we saw in the game against Penrith is that uh, last week uh, was that you know Rabbitohs are more than capable of putting on a, a supremely strong and impenetrable defence. Uh, against the best defensive team this year, um, Penrith, uh, they certainly out out defended them, and I think that that to me was the sign that this team is a true premiership contender. And look, all they've got to do is defeat the Manly Warringah Seagulls to make it to their their second grand final since well since their victory in 2014. So I think. Um, when you when you look at the the occasion, when you look at Wayne Bennett versus Des Hasler, both have been there and done that. But Wayne Bennett, obviously a, a, the master coach, uh, one of the best of all time, uh, and and you look at how he's done it with multiple clubs now. He's done it with the Dragons. Is he going to do it with the Rabbitohs? That's the key thing. Is Wayne Bennett going to make history and become the goat of all coaches? 
the greatest of all time because I think if he's able to pull this off this year with the Rabbitohs, pull the Rabbitoh out of the hat, he is will lay claim to being probably the best of all time as a, as a coach. And, um, and when you look at the way they're going, the way that they defended so well against the Panthers, the way that they, again, as you said, without Latrell Mitchell, with uh, young Blake Taft, they're being tested and, you know, making a couple of mistakes, but generally kind of um, working his way into the game and and actually becoming throughout the course of that game a a, uh, a benefit rather than a hindrance. You know, he became actually an asset to them as opposed to a weakness um, during the game, which is just amazing. So good on him. Hopefully the occasion won't get to him this time around. But look, even if it does, you know, you've got the likes of Alex Johnson that can easily be put into fullback. He is as safe as anything and he's done it before. So it's not like as if they don't have options. And I think that's mm. what that's why I'm, I'm looking at the bench and saying, look, this is a very strong bench, interchange bench that can – you know, it's got that flexibility and and uh, skill and passion, but also the wise heads there of, of people like Benji Marshall, and um, you know, not to mention that um, their forwards are just absolutely killing it this year as well, um, and they've got a strong backline. But on the flip side, Manly, look, they're uh, they've also uh, you know, again, they are top four, a top four team. So you know. When all is said and done, the top four have made it to the top four. Um, yeah. So, um, so it is what it is, and and so really, what we've got is uh, team three versus team four on one side of the draw, which is what we're talking about now, and on the other side, one versus two. Um, so, at the end of the day, it is all about what happens on the day. And I think, look, like I said, I think the the one thing that I do like about the Sea Eagles, which is embodied in Tommy Trebojevic is this sense of, you know, team, uh, you know, working for your team, mm. uh, looking for opportunities, always being there as a backup support play. I think that's where the Seagulls thrive. And I think, look, this is going to be a cracking game. So I know that the bookies are probably going to look at the Rabbitohs as, as kind of favourites in this game. And no doubt I would agree because I, I think I would actually um, tip the Rabbitohs over the, the Seagulls. But when you look at... Um, you know, when you look at the uh, the the what they bring, the style that these teams bring to the game, I think it's going to be a cracking game. It's probably not going to be as defense oriented as um, Panthers and Eels, um, purely because I think there's probably a few more holes in uh, in the Manly defense uh, than than we've seen in uh, you know in the 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 Panthers and the Eels defense uh, when they're on song. So I think it, this game will be a brilliant game if Manly bring their A game. Yeah. Uh, if they don't, then we could see a bit of a blowout, unfortunately. Um, not yeah. as much as uh, what we saw. Yeah, not as much as what we saw in, um, uh, you know, in the uh, in the Storm Manly game in week one. But certainly, um, it's or definitely in the Seagulls and Roosters mm. game in la- last up. But I think it's it's possible that um, that yeah, this will be uh, look. It'll be tight, no doubt. But um, as it I said, it could be high scoring. I think that's what you're saying. And uh, it could be high scoring. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think the Rabbitohs also have the uh, they might switch off in defence as well. 
um, if they get very attack-minded. Um, they don't necessarily have a team that has, like, a defensive expert in there, right? Like, um, like, like they do have a few missed tackles in them. That's what I'm sort of saying. Yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah that's that's true. But they, like I said, they, they also surprised me in that Panthers game. I think they... They they did kind of uh, the Rabbitohs did kind of have a, a scrambling mentality. I actually personally think that that's purely a Wayne Bennett uh, influence. I think I think he's kind of reminded them that it's finals now. We've got mm. to play a different style of game. We've got to be disciplined. And I think to be able to get some of the players in this team to be as disciplined as they have been in that game, and you know, and I think they've been a dark horse all year. I think. They've lost some games that they probably should have won, but at the end of the day, they were one win away from a minor premiership. One win, you know, one win and and uh, a few hundred points for and against. <laughs> but apart from that, look, they were still one win away. Like they were very close. So I think um, at the end of the day, uh, they it's it's the Rabbitohs game to lose, and I'm expecting to see them in that grand final. But look, let's move on to the next game, which is a Saturday night game. Again at Suncorp Stadium, um, the um, Panthers versus the Storm. Now, the Panthers don't have any – I think that – well, Mitch Kenny is out. We were talking yeah. about Mitch Kenny earlier. He's out with an injury. An injury. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's right. Oh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, and what else is happening? Uh so I think I've seen something mistaken. Oh, in, in... The, the only other thing is Josh Adokar comes back into the team. I think he was injured for a couple of weeks after he was chased down by Junior Paulo. Um, and I think Brian to- <laughs> that's right. Yeah, Brian, Brian Toll to- is back as well, but it's he doesn't seem to be named in the starting lineup, which is a bit of a yeah. I think he's in the reserves, that's... and like obviously he might be a late call up. So I think that's what yeah. is happening with that. And uh, interestingly, this game is actually going to be on a Saturday afternoon at four o'clock. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Why, why is that? That's a bit uh, strange. So, so that they're programmed because obviously this game will be quite popular in Melbourne, but I think there is some sort of event happening Saturday afternoon or Saturday night that a lot of Melbournians will watch. Um, I wonder what that could be. Was it yeah, the I Melbourne thought, Cup or something? Maybe I think I don't know, AFL. Sure. I, don't, I can't oh, remember. I can, sorry, I was, I'm, yeah, I'm joking. I, I, I'm joking. I, don't know, I don't know which teams, but uh, but. But but look, that's that's for a different podcast, I suppose. But yeah, yeah, we so we've accommodated the AFL Grand Finals. What you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Okay, as, as the wusses we are, but but like it also makes sense. Like like, no, of course it makes sense. It's the poor old Storm will be hoping to get some uh, some of Melbourne support. So yeah, but look, let's talk about the what's likely to happen. So uh, if let's just quickly run through the lineup: Pappenheisen, Jennings, uh, Remus Smith, Olam. Adokar, Munster, and Jerome Hughes. And in the forwards uh, we've, for the Storm, we've got Bromwich, Smith, Welch, Kafusi, the other Bromwich, and Fanukan. And then Harry Grant, Kamikamika, Asofa Solomona, and Nico Hines in the interchange bench. And for the Panthers, we've got uh, would the likely change of Brian to or maybe coming in. Dylan Edwards, Stephen Croydon, Momorowski, Burton, Naden, Luai, Cleary. And the forwards, Leota, Coruscant, Fisher-Harris, Kikau, Capel, and Yo. Interestingly, Kikau is actually starting as opposed to being on the bench, which is where he's usually been used. Uh, and on the interchange, Tyrone May, Scott Sorensen, Tavita, Tavita Pengai Jr., and Liam Martin. Uh, 
look, there was comments made in uh, in the last game with the Eels that the Panthers, uh, you know, going into a, a storm, a grand final qualifier against a storm, the last thing you want is to be battered and bruised from an, an absolutely epic encounter with the Eels. Uh, it, you'll go in a bit, uh, you know, tenderized and <laughs> ready for the taking, unfortunately. I don't know if that's the case this time around because, look, apart from any injuries that they may have, I think the Panthers um, will actually take quite a bit of confidence from what they they did against the Eels. Uh, the key thing for me is that, uh, and some some other comment- commentators I've heard or uh, and and read about uh, in the last couple of days have suggested that look, one of the key takeaways from that Panthers Eels game is that the Panthers proved that they're able to win, uh, find different ways to win. Uh, mm. These games that are required that they're required to win, and that's really a good sign. And I think if it's not the kind of uh, you know to know that you can you know yes you can win those games in high scoring games and and flog other teams and but you can also win dirty. You can win you know win ugly as they say. Uh, do what needs to be done to win, even if it's a boring defense oriented game. Um, but also win, uh, you know, in the circumstances where you're potentially being outplayed in field position or in possession, uh, you're, you know, constantly having to defend your line. There were very quite a few occasions where they had to defend against multiple sets from Parramatta. Um, and I think that was because the Eels were good at, at finding a way to get the ball, get the ball back. And so um, all that being said and done, I think, it you'd be very hard pressed to look look over the storm, you know. When push comes to shove, they are a clinical, well-oiled machine. It is their big match to get into the the you know a record-breaking season for them, and a match that will uh, see them get into a grand final. Uh, it you know you almost are looking for a, a miracle in a way for the Panthers to um, get up and. Uh, defeat the storm in the circumstances. In terms of betting, that seems to have been <laughs> very clear. The, all the money's on the storm in this one. But I have to say, I think if the Panthers are going to have any takeaways from uh, the the game against the Eels, they should probably look at that match and also do watch the video of how the Eels beat the storm. Uh, because I think the Eels have found the winning formula to defeat the Storm this year, uh, and basically that is um, to get physical with the Storm. That is the way to beat them, uh, quite plain and simple. You're not going to beat them by, uh, you know, razzle dazzle. You're going to get, you're going to have to get down and get dirty, roll your sleeves up, and get a bit physical without getting grubby, <laughs> without getting, uh, you know, giving penalties away, but be prepared to get stuck into the defence um, and really put some hard hits on. And I think that's the only way that any team can beat the Storm of this year. And I think if uh, if the Panthers can do that, I think they can win. And I'm going to tip the Panthers to win this one because I think that Ivan Cleary has learnt that lesson. <laughs> and, and hopefully... Uh, you know, maybe that week off for the Storm will probably uh, mean that they're not really as match-hardened as the the Panthers are. So that's my views. Tish, what about you? Yeah, look, uh, this is a really hard one, particular, but but I think um, it, it's I suppose how how Manly recover from you know obviously the uh, 
you know, the big game they had against, uh, you know, the big game they had last week, uh, obviously versus the rest that obviously um, Manly would have, uh, sorry, that Melbourne would have had. Um, so I think that's that's probably the big thing. And as you said, you do need to match Melbourne physically. I think Panthers actually have the forward pack to do that. Um, so so let's see how that goes. Um because I think that that's probably where it's all going to be won. I think earlier in the season, I think both teams have sort of um, won against each other. Uh, you know, so it's been so it's been pretty like the head-to-head is is pretty uh, is pretty close, right as well. So um, earlier this year, so so I think I think from that point of view, there's also um, like you know quite quite a quite quite a I, I suppose. Um, yeah, so last time, yeah, thirty-seven to ten, um, and then twelve ten earlier in the year, season. So that kind of suggests that probably if it's a close game, then you'll have um, that, that. Then probably Panthers have got a bit of a bit of an edge. But if it's a if it's a tight game, then oh, well, sorry, if 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 the Storm run out early and just completely blitz them, then you know I think the Panthers sometimes sometimes they, it seems like it's hard for them to score tries. Um, I don't. Really know how they address that, but that, but they might need, and this is why they've probably had Kikau on the bench just to bring him on to add a bit of spark. But I think maybe Pangai Junior might play that role now. So, so yeah. So as long as as long as the Panthers can match them in the first twenty minutes, I think then then then, then you could probably see a Panthers win. Uh, I think that's what it's going to come down to. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, the other thing I was actually looking at is that the weather forecast, just because this is a Sunday. Saturday afternoon day game in spring, it's a very unusual circumstance, right? But yeah. you're looking at about 30 degrees um, between 2 and 5 p.m., right? So, and obviously this game is at 4 p.m. So it's quite hot. Um, I think the wind is supposed to be 16 kilometers an hour. I don't know if that's going to have a big factor. Um, it's supposed to be a bit cloudy as well and, and, and like humidity at about 40%. So, um, so now we've got to think about how these play, teams play in the day versus the night, obviously a dry mm-hmm. track. And, um, you know, I, I think the Panthers are the youngest team in the comp. Um, so from that point of view, I think a day game might actually sit the Panthers over, over the storm. Um, I'm also thinking about the state of origin as well, that uh, I think Cleary has won a couple of games at Suncorp. It used to be a bogey place for him, um, yeah. but he might have a bit of confidence now playing there. So, yeah, so I think the Panthers can sneak up on them, uh, but here's why the rest is, is a big, big advantage. So I feel like the Panthers are going to go into the game with a couple of bruises here or there while the Storm are nice and rested. So that 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 could also... Towards the back end of the game, um, you know where the uh, the fatigue gets in. Um, you know the Panthers unfortunately won't have their orange orange shirt trainer to uh, <laughs> that's right <laughs> to call the game off or whatever that they need that's to do. Right. Yeah, so no, yeah, I think so- you're right about the, the the heat. Actually, I wonder if yeah, you know the Storm players coming from Melbourne, mm. they're not used to the heat as much as uh, the dry Western Sydney. You know Penrith kind of area where you know when when it's hot, it's really hot out there, uh, out the west of Sydney. So I wonder if they're used to that potentially. So yeah, maybe that could play a factor as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on to uh, our discussion of uh, our prediction for the Dalian Player of the Year. Here we go, tackle number four. 
All right. So now the NRL has done something different with the Dallium this year. They've released, uh, they've revealed the top five players uh, on Monday, and next Monday they're going to actually have the the uh, the the announcement of the best player of the year, uh, as well as a bunch of other kind of uh, key awards. And um, so unusual, splitting the Dally M Awards over two kind of nights. We do have some awards, which we'll talk about next, but the purpose of this, you know, uh, tackle is to talk about who we think out of the the nominees are going to be the uh, Dally M Player of the Year. So the nominees are Daly Cherry Evans, Nathan Cleary, James Tedesco, Tommy Trebojevic, and Cody Walker. Tish, this shouldn't be too difficult, I would think. <laughs> In my view, I think this is Tommy Turbo's uh, Dally M to, to lose. I think he, uh, he's, he's been head and shoulders above uh, every other player this year. Um, and I think he deserves to win it. And I think the, the numbers will bear that out. But what are your thoughts on this? Okay. My thoughts are, I think the Dally M, the, just the way it's structured, um, you know, because I think it's it's not, is it 3-2-1 per team or is it 3-2-1 per game? Because if it's per game, it's per, per game. Per, per game. Well, the problem with Tommy and Daly is that they play in the same team. Yeah. So <laughs> they will take points off each other, right? Yeah. Uh, and then you've got Cleary and Tedesco. Think about Cleary. He has missed a fair few number of games this season mm, uh, yeah. for his injury. And then on top of that, um, he'll have the likes of Luai and maybe Coruscant and a couple of other the, of the forwards who would also sort of take points away from him. Where I think James Tedesco has had a, a pretty good run of injuries in his team. <laughs> Which means that he's pretty much going to be three, two, and one. He's he's going to be three or two pretty much every game he plays that the Roosters win, right? So that's why I think I'll give it to Tommy Trevojevic. I think this is where you kind of notice with Dally M's, it normally doesn't. It might feature a grand finalist, but it rarely features a grand final winner. Um, and and I think that's probably where, and it's just because of the way it's done. So my money is on James Tedesco uh, for that, which. Yeah, which is interesting, and I suppose the other the other crazy we've got, um, you know, you've got one half, you've got two halfbacks, one five eighth, and two fullbacks. So, sort of how the fullback and the halfbacks are sort of competing for the most important position on the field. All right, well, we'll I'll, I'll get your um, actual tip in a minute, but let's move to tackle number five. We're going to talk about the other Dallium Awards. Here we go, tackle number five. All right, so as I said, some of the uh, the awards for the Dallium uh, medals have been awarded, uh, and those have been... Uh, the first is the Ken Irvine medal for the top try scorer, and that goes to Alex Johnston from the Rabbitohs. Well done, Alex. Um, you know, one of those dependable players that you can always expect to see at or near the top of the top try scorer list. So... Again, it's uh, this just points to my kind of Rabbitohs uh, under the radar in terms of uh, their uh, their um, uh, their success on the field this year. The top point scorer this year goes to Ruben Garrick of the Manly Warringah Seagulls. So there you go, representative of each of uh, of those uh, teams going head to head this year. The UE tackler uh, tackle of the year goes to Xavier Coates from the Broncos. 
the uh, drink-wise try of the year goes to Tom Travoyevich of the Seagulls. And finally, the VB hardest-working player of the year goes to Isaiah Papali'i of the Parramatta Eels. I would say, Tish, that last one in particular, I think uh, given that was uh, one of the ones that are, uh, you know, a, a judged – one that's a judged um, award – uh, in terms of an individual player award. Um, I would have to agree with that. I think probably he has absolutely uh, exploded onto the scene this year. And he proved in that game against the Panthers that he was, uh, you know, he was one of the players that was getting the mileage uh, up in the middle there. He was very dependable, very consistent. And, yeah, like I think that's a, a really good choice, actually, for hard-working, hard, VB hardest-working player of the year. What yeah. are your views, Tish, on uh, on any of those awards that I just mentioned? Yeah, well, look, as I Papa Lee I think, um, yeah, I think he's been a very hardworking player. So I could definitely, um, I could definitely uh, see why he's won that. Um, the leaderboard after twenty five rounds, he wasn't actually in um, the top eight, so he's come out of nowhere uh, to actually uh, win this award, which is fantastic for him. Um, but I, but I also wonder that he did come off the bench off his, his last game, um, and there's only two two games afterwards. So I don't know. I, yeah. So yeah, somebody still has to explain to me how they work out this index. How is it calculated? Right. Like uh, I don't know. Like are they using a big data? Like you know, uh, putting all these things in and um, uh, yeah. I, I I think we need to have clarification on exactly how this award works. You're um, you're questioning you're questioning the uh, the validity integrity, integrity of the NRL integrity of an award you... of an award that starts with VB and is sponsored by VB. Yeah, uh, yeah no. and, and, and I also find it a contradiction. Can I just say this that um that we have a drink wise try of the year and straight after that we <laughs> <laughs> an alcohol sponsored uh, yeah. <laughs> It's a bit weird, right? And then an insurance company, like, so drink, like, it's kind of telling me drink drive without insurance. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, what, you know, like, uh, I don't know. But, yeah, but look, uh, but the NRL, look, sponsors are hard to get. You get them all, no matter what, even if their causes are completely different, yeah. contradictory, you know, it's kind of yeah, like yeah. we went here, but... um. <laughs> All right, well done. Yeah, look, uh, maybe they should combine the Drinkwise and VB uh, awards to call it the, uh, you know, Drinking Moderation Awards, you know, <laughs> yeah, something that's, like that's, that. That's, that's um, but, yeah, but, look, look, uh, but, yeah. but aside from that, I think Papa Lee, he's a really good player and I think he's been a bit of a, uh, yeah, I think he's going to be up for some Rugby League uh, Rugby League Republic Awards later on in the year because oh, I think so. Yeah, he's come out of nowhere and uh, and he's and he's performed uh, brilliantly for for the Eels. So um, a bit of a cult hero, uh, I think, in the making. So yeah, yeah, and it's also caused us to rethink how we pronounce uh, Josh Papali's uh, Papali's name in the Canberra Raiders. Mm. <laughs> so that's the other thing. Look, let's move on to our final tackle, which is the tips. Here we go. All right, so both of us got one out of two last week. So I move up to 128 and you you move up to 124. So yep. you can still catch up if we've got, well, depending on what happens in the next few weeks, yep. how many other additional award, uh, you know tips we, we add. But look, this week we've got the two games plus the Dalian prediction, player of the year prediction. So 
Let's just launch right into it. Souths versus Manly. Put your money where your mouth is, Tish. Are you going to opt for Souths or Manly? My tip is for Souths. Yeah, look, I'm going to tip South Sydney on this one as well. I, I agree with you there. All right. Storm and Panthers. I am actually tipping the Panthers. I think, uh, you know, I, I think the odds are going to be in their favour this weekend. Uh, and I think the Storm... Yeah, they will have met their match uh, in the resurgence. I think that look the matchup of the century because it. Let's not forget the emotion of uh, the last year. You know, wanting to make amends for last year as well. Mm. So I think the Panthers will win this one. Yeah, I think I think we always say that, uh, but then like you know, Canberra wanted to make an amends last year and they got nowhere, right? So <laughs> I, um, I'm gonna tip. I'm gonna tip Melbourne. I think. I just think they've just been there and done it too often. Um, and I think the Parramatta game has taken too much out of the uh, Panthers, unfortunately. Yeah. And look, before before I forget, before we go to Dallium, uh tips, because we already gave them anyway, I just, I just remind you of our, our grand final predictions from the beginning of the year where I tipped Eels and Souths to be in the grand final and Eels to be winners. Obviously, I didn't get that one. But your tip is still in play. Storm versus Souths with Souths to be the winners. Wow. And Tish, my tips I, seem to be the same, right? So, And and I think, yeah, exactly. And I think and I think that, uh, that yeah, well, I'm glad they are the same, obviously. But uh, but I think, yeah, you could you could be in line for uh, some interesting uh, points at the end of the season with that. So let's see how that goes. But look. Mm. That's a good one. I mean, look, to call it this far out, I think, look, I would have to agree. If the Storm and Souths make it to the grand final, I would be aiming for the Souths. I would be going for the Souths to win that one. So it could be that you've not only tipped the grand finalists, but also the winner. So well done. But look. Yeah, I should put some money on it, right? Like You uh, should have, yeah. It's just a shame you didn't. But anyway, Dalian Player of the Year, I tip Tommy Turbo. You tip James Tedesco. Are we still, are we still going with that? Yeah, I, I think so. I think, um, you know, Freddie's choice is the Dallium choice. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, look, this has been an epic uh, grand final qualifier edition of the Rugby League Republic. We look forward to seeing who our grand finalists will be next week and who our Dallium Player of the Year will be next week. Until next time, uh, goodbye. And Tish, I'll leave you to wrap this one up. Well, thank you, Dr. T. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. But that's all the time for we- that we have for this episode of the Rugby League Republic. We're your host, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.